Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Add some bells here. Add some bells here. Add some bells here. Add, add, some, add some bells here. Add some bells here because it is the front three just before Christmas. God, you're so lucky. Uh, joining me uh, as the same on the weekend, uh, Chris Hennage. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Likewise. Or happy holidays, as they say in the state. They don't say Merry Christmas anymore because Christmas is under attack, Chris. Yes. Yeah, that's what religious diversity will do to a holiday. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, hey, Nico. Hey, Lawrence, how you doing? Uh, what are you doing right now? I am basking in the in the glory of, uh, of Kristen's wonderful Ederson piece that I'm just taking a look at because I think it's great. Well, we did yeah. speak a little bit, a bit about Edison earlier in the week. It does always annoy me a little bit when we do... Uh, talk about things that people on the podcast are writing and not for the reasons you think um, mainly because I feel like uh, I'd rather read their article than get them to talk about it on the podcast and then get them to talk about it on the podcast um, but, but it's nice to like maybe go into the you know we can exp- like you don't always get everything you want in the piece maybe the editor takes some stuff out so maybe like maybe Chris can expand on stuff that he didn't talk about well, it, or I can expand on things that I'm writing right now you aren't expanding on shit Kristen's just written a fucking good article and he knows more about Man City than you. Um, Chris, I'm so sorry. As a Man City fan on this podcast, you're going to know more than, uh, than Nico. Um, uh, Let's, let's talk a little bit about the Edison piece. Lovely piece. And uh, and Edison is, he's he's currently Brazil number two, uh, in a way, and that he's, he's watching on from Mm. the sidelines. And, um, you know, I guess there will be hopes that because he's a Man City player, possibly a Premier League winner, possibly a Champions League runner-up, uh, if all goes to script uh, at UEFA. Um, what else do you expand on in the article and why should people go read it? Um, yeah, so so what I touch on in the article is is essentially kind of piecing together why he is so good with his feet. And, and the truth is, is that he wasn't always a goalkeeper. He was actually a left back um, originally and, and by his own startling admission it was his laziness that, that put him in goal because he didn't want to track back um, and I think there was a lot of criticism leveled at Guardiola in the summer for wanting to spend money for wanting to change things over when previous managers had already invested huge sums I mean even 
Guardiola himself had, had, brought, had brought Claudio Bravo, who again was seen as another one of his pieces slotting into the puzzle. But even with Edison, you know, this was a goalkeeper costing over 30 million at 24 years old, didn't have a huge wealth of experience with Benfica, had a very, and, and I wrote about this, a very curious career in Portugal because he joins Benfica and then he goes out to some some lesser Portuguese clubs and then is re-signed to Benfica um, and, and their B team and only really gets a shot after Julio Cesar um, kind of slips out of, of first choice. And yet, the way in which he has taken to this league and has adapted to the pressure has been such a huge bonus to Manchester City because it has founded the the beginnings of, of, of their title run. And, and even as recently as the Tottenham game, you know, John, St- John Stones isn't there. And it's it's really, it's Edison who provides the composure, who starts to build out from the back. And I think, I, I made the comparison that when we were kids in England, often the goalkeeper was the worst player on the team, who you would shove in there because you needed someone and nobody really wanted to be a goalkeeper. And, and I think there's been a good portion of, of time where goalkeepers are almost seen like the drummers of football. You've got to be a little bit crazy to be a goalkeeper. Everyone wants to score the goals. No one really wants to stop them. And yet you speak to so many goalkeepers who say that sensation of stopping a goal is like scoring one. And I think with with Edison in particular, he has, through Guardiola's tactics, through Guardiola's methods, has shown us that uh, the goalkeeping position in today's game can be so much more diverse and influential than stopping goals. It can be the instigator of attacks. It can be someone that allows you to defeat pressing traps. And that, I think, is one of the more beneficial innovations we've seen from um, Guardiola since he came to England. And it was all started with the decision to drop Joe Hart, which, again, at the time was seen in some quarters as this startling and and at the same time sacrilegious almost decision to make because here was this stalwart of Manchester City who'd been ever reliable, a great goalkeeper, a great shot stopper. But now he was being cast aside because he couldn't pass the ball. And you look back at that now, knowing what we know of Edison, knowing what he can do, and it seems laughable. And and with each passing week, Joe Hart, I think, pushes himself further away from Man City with each performance that he puts in, but also each performance that Edison puts in. Yeah, although actually Joe Hart's not really getting the chance to perform right now because he obviously has Adrian just ahead of him. I think um, in some people's books, he's actually a better goalkeeper, but um, I I don't know if that's permanently true. And actually Joe Hart, Kind of a little bit of stick. It's been. It is interesting to talk about the role of the goalkeeper. Um, maybe when we got a little more time, we do kind of have a little bit of time now. But interesting story from Jonathan Wilson said, uh, was saying that in the time of radio, he spoke to a few older goalkeepers in South America. I can't which book he was writing, but he was writing a book, and he said uh, loads of people wanted to be strikers or goalkeepers because the best bits of commentary on the radio came from the striker and the goalkeeper. So it's either incredible save or amazing goal. Um, and obviously that's changed now a little bit and it is, it's quite interesting to see. It's also interesting though, Chris, because actually, and actually Nick, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. It's, it's an interesting question. Very often goalkeepers go through transitions to get into the Premier League. We spoke about, you know, De Gea, uh, Pepe Reina. There's, there's actually a long list of Spanish goalkeepers who have taken some time to adapt to the league. Do you think Guardiola's system is helping Edison to adapt to the league and if it's helping Edison why isn't it helping other goalkeepers and why can't he do this with a heart or a, 
a Bravo? Well, I think I, I, I think the, the, the key here is that what Guardiola kind of talks about doing in a lot of his press conferences and maybe extended questionnaires with, with different journalists is that, and I, this is what I think is, is so great about him, and really I think this is a trait that you'll find consistent with most coaches that have achieved something in the modern game, is that they it's not just about getting good players, right? I mean, obviously Guardiola, and maybe that's one of the major criticisms of people that aren't the biggest fans of his or Manchester City, is that you know he has a ridiculous amount of resources to put together the team that he likes. But I think he has a vision in his mind, not only to create a good team and one that is brilliant in in the way that he wants it to be, but to include players that he can activate or accentuate their best qualities. And I think this is sort of the second time in his career as a manager where he's taken an exceptional quality of a, of a goalkeeper and used that to his advantage in, in like a very specific way. And I, I was, you know, as I've become more and more involved with Pep Guardiola as, as, you know, he is the manager of the team that I support, it's always interesting to look back to his days at Bayern Munich and, and, and look at how he used Manuel Neuer um, and in his role, and I think maybe if you look at you know Ederson's specific ability that is being accentuated in the system is is his passing ability, as we talked about in the Tottenham game. And it's funny because I think we've probably talked about it in this podcast as well. But you know the, the the debate between you know the goalkeepers and and the role of the goalkeeper in the modern game is sort of was sort of fired off by by De Gea's magnificent performance, you know, shot stopping performance against Arsenal. And then I think. Aderson has his own version of that a few weeks later against Tottenham. And I and I like I said before, if you look at Aderson, his his amazing quality or his, his his quality that maybe is a little bit unique that Guardiola is using in this different way is his his distribution and passing ability and his, you know, nous that maybe not a lot of goalkeepers have. And it's a similar usage to to um, you know, Manuel Nora's sweeping ability. Bayern Munich were so incredibly dominant with possession that they could essentially camp themselves out in the opposition's half and completely dominate the ball. But that does come with an element of risk. You know, only having one or two center backs holding that line is extremely difficult if a team starts to counterattack upon you. And I think there isn't even really a, a collected statistic to measure how many times Neuer successfully punted the ball out of play or moved it forward or was just able to control it and move it back into the to the hands or, or rather feet of a, of a Bayern Munich player. And I think it's these sort of, I, I struggle to call it game-breaking because it appears too complimentary of Guardiola, but it's it's in those ways where if you look at how he used Manuel Neuer, it's essentially like having a defender that doesn't count as part of like the offside line. He can be in that area, and there can still be a, a really effective um, offside line created by the defenders, but then you have a player that's working in your favor behind that who's able to knock the ball out of play, stop counterattacks, stop opponents, and do all these incredible things. And I think that's probably the the best thing about the way that Guardiola uses his players is that he sees a specific attribute that I think he he thinks can help him um, in a major way as to how he wants to play football. He seems to use that in in the most in the most advantageous way, and and uh, you know Aderson is a, is a really good example of that. In the most advantageous way for his team, I guess part of it. Um, but we, yeah, there, was yeah, interesting, there was an interesting chat uh, on the Football Ramble the other day about how maybe certain players with certain attributes would have been overlooked if it hadn't been for the, the generation and the work of certain people within um, 
Spanish football at the time, which were moving the football in a certain direction, etc., etc. And it seems as if Edison is currently benefiting from a similar sort of thing generationally um, at Man City, at least, and then probably in the wider game as well. It'll be interesting to see if he makes it to Brazil ahead um, as as number one. Will he be the Brazilian number one, and then of course to Russia? Um, it's, I, have a, I have a question for sort of the both of you, if if you know the you know if you guys want to answer it, I, I think. Right now, what I'm sort of writing about is our perception of the, of the role of goalkeeper. And, you know, I think the, the, the most consistent argument or, or statement that I hear when people talk about this debate, um, when it comes to maybe like someone like Hugo Lloris or, or David De Gea or Aderson, when we're talking about these Premier League goalkeepers, is that, you know, they, people always generally say the first and foremost thing about a goalkeeper is their shot stopping ability. Everything right. else is auxiliary. And I think maybe our perception or rather our understanding of the the position of goalkeeper hasn't evolved as quickly as the game has. And I wonder, you know, if we continue to adopt that, that, that mindset that shot stopping is first and everything else is auxiliary, if that is in some way, shape or form hampering the development of future goalkeepers, because they believe. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe, I mean, you know, first and foremost, shot stopping ability is, uh, you know, the most important thing for a goalkeeper. Um, but, uh, I mean, Chris, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this one as well, but I guess for a goalkeeper, not, you know, the, the great goalkeepers get picked because of those extra attributes. And I guess what they're saying is the very core of being goalkeeper, it's the same as, you know, being a striker. There has to be this incredible sense of being able to strike a ball. That doesn't mean that every striker has to be able to strike a ball in that way. I guess as a defender, you can, you know, know how to head a ball or whatever. It's sort of a weird one because there are a lot of different attributes that different goalkeepers need in different teams. So Pepe, I mean, I miss Pepe Reina at Liverpool, and obviously you see him, you see him in a very successful Napoli team. Um, Buffon over time has lost, or what some people say, obviously he's got older. They assume he's lost pace in some way. I don't know if he's a particularly quick goalkeeper in the first place. Um, a goalkeeper seems to be quite a lot about the the mystique and the image and the sort of. Um, it's probably one of the more like almost mystical feeling uh, positions because it, I mean it is also a very unique position out on the pitch it's the only one that can touch it with your hands um, it's, the, it's the only position with its own union um, good point although you've got to say like the left and right back union is also a pretty good one and, and I think the, the thing as well is that for for a goalkeeper, and I've tried to have this discussion with, with keepers in the past. It, to me, it strikes me as a very lonely position because even if you know you work in training with a good number two, number three, coaches, etc., once that whistle blows, it is very much you against strikers and the opposition because no other position on the field do you sit on such a fine line between success and failure, and you can make a dozen great saves during the course of 90 minutes but if one squibbles under you then then it's ruined what's gone before it and and I think that is what is so difficult with a goalkeeper that you know if if for example a striker has a fairly barren run we will use phrases like you know at least he's getting the chances at least he's taking the shots these kind of things and we'll almost convince ourselves that that run of form will eventually tire itself out and will straighten itself out and they'll be back in, in, in good nick. We don't do the same with goalkeepers. 
we we often question if this is the you know the beginning of the end for them or if this is a a problem that is always going to define their career we don't necessarily say that of of forwards um and i think that's what's been intriguing with edison for me is that yeah you're you're completely spot on there's a mystique about him because he can do so much because he doesn't conform to a lot of the stereotypes that we associate with goalkeepers even you know the great peter schmeichel who i think for for the money is is the best Premier League goalkeeper to date. He was not as well-rounded as, as Edison is. He had different skills at the same time. I think, you know, we've, we've maybe not seen Edison tested to the same ways that Schmeichel was with one-on-ones and point-blank saves and and these kind of things. But I think when you compare the two, it's fair to say that Schmeichel didn't have his, his level of distribution. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one because I also think each generation of goalkeeper needs something different as well. Because every generation requires maybe different attributes. I think goalkeepers back in the day, I think goalkeepers in the day had to be back in the day had to be a lot more physical because um, they, they were taking knocks and bumps from people. And I think over time they sort of got more and more protected because people realised that people were just getting very physical with the goalkeeper and trying to knock the ball out of their hands. And obviously you can steal it in a way. Now you can't even now you can't even steal the ball from a goalkeeper. Uh, you know what does the world come to? Le- liberal lefties. Uh, Wrapping goalkeepers in carnival. Um, when is that article going to be out, Nico? Is that something that's a long-term um, project? Uh, you know, I like to take my time, but I'm, I'll give myself the de- deadline of, of Sunday. So if not on Sunday, then, then Monday. <laughs> I'll give myself the deadline of Sunday. But if not Sunday, probably Monday. <laughs> but then, I'll, but then I'll give myself another 24 hours. You know, I like okay. to sleep on it and then final edit. And then, you know, you know how it is. We've all done it. We've all done it. We've all done it with videos. We've all done it with everything. We've all done it with homework. Um, that's the key bit, I think. Um, always do it with your homework. Leave it late. Do it late. It always is better that way. Free, freestyling it's better. Uh, and Although Chris and Nico probably say the other way. Um, obviously, on the other side of Manchester, there was, well, it wasn't in Manchester, obviously, but it, it, on the other side of Manchester, they're less happy right now, Chris. Manchester United went away to Bristol City, and Bristol City got a 93rd minute win, all thanks to Corey Smith. Um, incredible scenes at the stadium as people pile onto the pitch, which we hate to see, Chris. We hate we hate when people have fun in football and break rules which are really uh, sort of there for other people, but not really those people. And But they break the rules and so we're angry with them. And the commentator has to say, oh, you don't like to see that in football. But really, you know, deep inside, he thinks, I love seeing that in football. Yeah, the, I mean, look, Bristol City are a fascinating proposition because you have to remember that the two seasons prior to this, they were essentially saved by the fact they had really poor and forwards in Jonathan Codger, and then last season it was Tammy Abraham. And, I, I, you know, I take no pride in saying I actually tipped them for relegation at the start of the season because I wasn't terribly convinced with the forward they brought in from... I'm trying to think where it was. I think it was Angers where they had got Codger, actually. Um, and the team in general hadn't changed drastically, so there was no you know, sign of, of potential improvement. What they've done this season has been nothing short of, of fantastic in the championship in terms of the way they play football, the fact players like Bobby Reid have already surpassed their previous uh, highest goals total for the club, etc. And I think you saw a lot of the positivity 
and the willingness to make attacking substitutions United because it would have been easy to not only fold I think but um, regress backwards once um, Manchester United scored in the second half and uh, a million things you can take away from Manchester United's performance I see a lot of fans calling for January investment which uh, again I think Sorry, just yeah, uh, January investment Wow. Yeah. Which which I think points to how terrible the recruitment has been during the last few years. Um, that, they, that they still feel as if they need that. Um, Don't you also think that that I mean those cries for for January investment? And I agree. I I think that's a correct sentiment. Like I have seen a lot of prominent Manchester. Manchester United fans suggest that. Um, but don't you think that's also down to like maybe some player mismanagement from Mourinho because you know they bought probably one of the best players in the Bundesliga um, a couple of years ago and they have yet we have yet to see the best of him. We've yet to see him very play very much at all. And that's probably largely down to, to the manager that, that's in place right now. I think the problem with Manchester United is they've, they've never been that clear on what they wanted post-Ferguson. Um, it, it's very easy to say you want a, a similar kind of of manager to fill that role in terms of longevity. Um, but I, I don't think that, you know, once Moyes goes and Van Hall comes in, it becomes abundantly clear to me, at least, that that's not what they're shooting for anymore. Um and I think to suggest that they had to deviate from the, the, the structure of Ferguson, you know, it, it makes you seem like an iconoclast, but I think actually it's far more pragmatic than that. And I look at the position they have with Mourinho now is that when actually Mourinho isn't winning trophies, what is he? What, what, you know, what, what are you gaining from that? And I think they look at Manchester City and they see a team that, Again, there's a lot of things about City that make it perfect for Guardiola. The free reign, the the fact that he can almost do what he wants, when he wants. And I think there's an element of them that, that wishes they kind of had that because he is building something, whereas I don't think Mourinho is building anything. And, and giving him more money in January, I don't know what that achieves either because, you know, yes, he might bring in um, a, a bit better depth or whatever, but but I don't think that drastically changes the way they play football, and and, and I think you what has happened is you've seen a Mourinho just a little bit of time maybe possibly, but but then I think what's happened with Mourinho's sides, and this is not a dig at him, is that essentially what's happened at Manchester United is he's developed a Mourinho side, he's installed a defensive midfielder like he did at Porto and Inter and uh, you know Real Madrid. And he's also introduced a creative fulcrum in the same way that Deco was at Porto with Paul Pogba. And the problem with that is Guardiola, whether you love him or hate him, is less invested in the individual and more invested in what I would consider the, the equilibrium of a side. And when City got rid of Mancini, they, they talked about wanting a more holistic approach. And a lot of people laughed at that. And thought it sounded like pure management speak. And what what would a football club need holistic management for? But the truth is, they've kind of got that now in Guardiola. They've got someone that will invest himself in every facet of the club and will look to 
take instances like the game against Leicester midweek and use Phil Ford and, and, and introduce Brahim Diaz and uh, Tosin Adrabeo, players that come through the club's academy. And credit to Mourinho, he's tried to do the same with, with McTominay this season. And I don't think it's been a, a failure. But the, the issue for him is that his team is a bit more functional, it's a bit more mechanical in its feel. It, it doesn't transition so seamlessly. It has very defined roles for very defined players. And I think that's where he's struggling is that to, to maybe compare it to MMA just briefly, you look at someone like Conor McGregor who, when he boxes, is a lot more fluid, is a lot less clunky than, than the, the fighters he faces. You have their hands up and look a little bit stuck in the mud. That's the difference I find with, with Mourinho and Guardiola. It's not that one is bad and one is good. It's that one has this very defined ideology that is, is a striker is a striker, a midfielder is a midfielder, and so on and so forth. Whereas for Guardiola, I sense that he sees things in a lot more of a fluid sense. And, and you look at his ideology and it's, it's borrowed from a lot of schools, whereas I don't think Mourinho's is that diverse. I think it's, it's rooted in a lot fewer textbooks if you will or, or has a few lot fewer citations in the in the um in the footnotes i guess there's other there's other uh, values there as well there was a comment or a, a bit of analysis on the weekend from poet on the kickoff uh with Jordi, and he was saying how oh, he didn't feel rashford was developing and yeah i, I kind of agree i mean he's, he's developing in a different way and i guess what united or, uh, you know, I think you're right, Chris. A lot of United fans might say right now, I don't care about the develop. I don't, you know, I, I care that we're going to win things. You know, it's the, the old United way. I think you you can do any of any of the old team, whatever. And they sort of say, um, you know, over, over time, Mourinho will build this team up. Uh, you know, he's, he's always great in his second season. It's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate for him now um, that he's, he's up against Guardiola, who's fantastic um, it, I, I guess the equivalency with Rashford is um, this team's going to be very disciplined by the time that Mourinho leaves which uh, for some weird reason I'm mapping out as next season at some point because you know um, that they'll be uh, drilled they'll be great for another manager to come in so many of those players will be motivated will learn so much will be the mentality maybe that you need as another manager to be able to mould and maybe also then you know you've, you've got the space for someone to come in afterwards and put in some great football because it's not as if there aren't some great creative players in there which we see every now and again I guess. Um, so it's a tricky one sort of taken away though uh, Nico uh, from the fact that Mourinho didn't want to say they were lucky he didn't want to say he said it five I think maybe five or six times but he didn't want to say that Bristol City Sorry, I just missed lucky. that last bit. I didn't want to say that Bristol City were lucky, Nico. Why? Yeah, you said it five or six times, but you know they weren't lucky. Yeah, I think he was sort of making the the the, the, the opposite point there, as you're kind of pointing out to, no, to how, you're, really? how you're how you're thinking. <laughs> um, and in that sense, I don't know. I I think. You know, from I didn't get to watch the game, but from from a lot of the people that that did, from my understanding, that was, you know, it is what sort of Mourinho is underlyingly uh, suggesting there, which is that you know they weren't 
or maybe it's the opposite of what, what he's suggesting rather because I think in a lot of people's opinions they weren't unlucky but I think maybe to speak to the broader point about Manchester United I think the issue for me since his time as a manager for for that club is has not been the players the recruitment or any of that and there are issues with the some of the players maybe that they've recruited the, over the past couple of years I think as Chris points out very astutely is like they had they didn't have much of a plan I think there is and it, it sort of parallels um I think the way I like to think about it is it sort of parallels the, the conversation around the presidency in the United States is that some people almost ask the question, was it Obama's, was it part of Obama's legacy to ensure whoever came next did not destroy everything that he wanted to do? And some people might criticism in that respect or might criticize him in that respect. Um, and I think the same goes for Ferguson in the sense that I think he, he sort of left that club high and dry and whether, whether it was to, to, to build into how great he was and to leave that. Um, and it was more of an egoistic action to do that and, and maybe cement his legacy as one of the greatest Premier League managers and possibly the greatest Premier League manager of all time um, is up for debate. But I think, you know, like I said, the, the, the main issue I have with Mourinho's tenure is that it hasn't been the recruitment. It's been his style of play. Last season, I think, given the resources that they have and the players that were on their roster – they could have done much better in the league and they could have achieved a, a Champions League spot through that. And though they did achieve that Champions League qualification by winning the Europa League, it could have ended in a different way. And, you know, few blades of grass, couple, you know, gusts of wind, and they're not in the Champions League this season. And even despite that, I think it's important to consistently finish within the top four for a team that has that, those kind of aspirations. And I think, like, you know, as I keep mentioning, it's the style of play. If they had been more aggressive last season, as maybe he's attempting to this season, then I think they would have. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Seen more results it, sort of in the positive against the teams that they struggle against. But like, like Chris is, is sort of mentioning, I think... There is more of Guardiola's development as a manager. We see something a little bit different each time he moves on to a different team. He's accentuating different qualities, different players. And I think with Mourinho, he likes he has a, a perfect image of what a team of his should should perform as. And it's it's the same image every time. And he's trying to recreate that as opposed to he's trying to evolve something. I don't and know. I, I feel, I really feel like you're both being a little unfair on Mourinho here. I mean, to some extent, I think you're being unfair on Mourinho. Uh, maybe maybe collect some of that sometime but um yeah 
I, I think just just to clarify, I don't think necessarily Mina is doing anything wrong. I think perhaps the difference is when these two have come up against each other previously in, in Spain, I don't think that Guardiola had the resources that he has at Manchester City. Um, and I think giving him that free reign makes his job a lot easier because it means he can he can identify and acquire players that fit his ethos much right. easier. And I think that's what widens the gap. So, so a lot of the time you'll see people say, you know, I'd love to see Guardiola do it with Burnley, et cetera, et cetera. There would be a drop-off, of course, because you have to adapt the way that you work with the talent that's at your disposal. The difference for Guardiola now is that there, there really isn't a ceiling to the talent at his disposal. They can go and play 50 million to Monaco for Benjamin Mendy and a, a similar amount for, for Bernardo Silva, who doesn't really get off the bench or, or excuse me, start that many games for, for Man City. And I think that's the key difference here is that he's been given a freedom that makes him that much more dangerous. Yeah, uh, and I think in, in many ways what Guardiola then has constructed is a bit of a... Um, a mentality around the side, not only when you're facing them, but also when they are facing people, um, of a, an air of invincibility maybe that we saw in Barcelona in his time and a few other teams in that time as well. It certainly was an interesting one. Uh, two teams, uh, and we, should, we can talk a little bit about, more about Man City at another time, definitely more about Mourinho at another time as well. Uh, but Man United found themselves out of the Carabao Cup uh, to many people's elation, Um Obviously, not Manchester United fans. Um, it's I enjoy the way that when fans lose, they go on the offensive on online. Uh, Liverpool fans do it, Arsenal fans do it, uh, United fans do it as well. Uh, Man City fans less so because they know no one's looking at them. Uh, everyone's just looking at their team. Um, and also, it's been such a long time since they lost um, against someone that was poor. Uh, Although surely there's some sort of losing uh, in what they did in just going to penalties. Nico, I'm just saying that for the banter. Um, anyway, uh, two teams who are very much human and are very much taking weird sort of side slaps in each other are uh, Liverpool and Arsenal for a while now, since Arsenal took the title uh, almost 27, 28 years ago now. Um there been, uh, it's been a sort of passionate rivalry between the two sides um, in the in the Premier League era, at least. And Alex Oxide Chamberlain is at the centre of it this time. Jurgen Klopp and Chamberlain, sort of in a very veiled way, referencing some of the bad habits that he got into at Arsenal and how they're being coached out of him, Nico. Um, it's certainly an interesting one because it isn't. I don't think it's really a knock on Wenger. I think it's much more sort of a knock on. You know, just everything that goes on at Arsenal and the club um, with some of those top players. But uh, Wenger's then had it um, put to him. And I think the back page of, let me try to find it, the back page of the, the mirror says, um, you can't be a big player, sit in your rocking chair and say, I do not want to fight. Jet Wenger takes a jibe at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, funny time to do it. Weird times. Why motivate a player like that just for the big game? He's playing the mind games. He's, he's learning um, 
from his uh, his counterpart Mourinho over there. I mean, maybe it might have a negative effect going into the game, but I think it, it's definitely an interesting one. As you, as you mentioned, I don't think it's necessarily um, a negative thing in in terms of the juxtaposition between the evolution of Chamberlain at, at Liverpool and and what he experienced at Arsenal. And it's interesting, obviously, to hear different people talk about Arsene Banger. We've uh, and I think obviously all of this is completely dependent on what relationship that person has um, with the manager. But we've had we've heard a lot of people say that the best manager for young players is undoubtedly Arsene Wenger because he gives them time. He has understanding for mistakes. He has understanding um, and patience, and, and gives plenty of opportunities for those players, and gives them opportunities to to develop and shine in areas where they need to. But at the same time, we're seeing an evolution of. Of, of play and maybe of maturity in, in play um, when it comes to Oxlade-Chamberlain at Liverpool. And I think it's obviously it's not anywhere close to the final product, but it would be interesting to, to sort of look back at the end of that and say, you know, we level a lot of criticisms at, at maybe the managerial style that, that comes across uh, from Arsene Wenger. Is his style, maybe his more laissez-faire style with players another thing that we can say is maybe getting a little bit past um past due or, or expired in the sense because i think a lot of people have always seen the potential in alex oxlade chamberlain and said and didn't quite understand why he has been relevant for so long and yet not necessarily achieved a, a consistent potential I mean, and maybe I, that's something that he'll be able to do similar to adam alana um under under your club I guess I understand that. I guess I also can put the opposite argument of that, but the intensity that Liverpool currently have sees them one point ahead of Arsenal in the league. I mean, you know, maybe in the long term, although even on the long term, which is Wenger's long term of 20 years or so now, uh, they've they've had minor drop-off, although maybe on a graph it still looks like a drop-off. Anyone want to take a punt as to who's going to win this one? For I think it's very much dependent on the big guns for Arsenal, isn't it, guys? What they can do against that Liverpool back line, who again, Chris, will never shut up before a big game and just sort of go, we're just happy to play football. They really want to get out there and show everyone and tell everyone, listen, we're going to tell you how solid we are so that then when we're not solid, you want to rub it in our faces. Chris. Yeah, I think I think it's a curious one for that Liverpool defence because I don't think inherently it is a bad defence and, and there are certainly people who will argue that attack can nullify um, a poor defence or help mask it. Um, I do just think there's, there's part of this Liverpool side that the way in which it attacks maybe opens up the defence in, in the way that... Other teams don't. That's that's the thing. Um, they're not a possession-focused team, in for, for my mind, when I watch them. But they are very efficient at attacking. And I think part of that efficiency comes from almost their willingness to kind of open the team up a little bit and almost encourage their opposition to attack them and to, to try and get at them. Um, and so, so, yeah, I think you yeah. look at the... I, th- I think you look at the reverse fixture of this one, there really actually wasn't a huge amount for the Liverpool defence to do, from what I can remember. Um, in fact, I think they kept a clean sheet. Um, did they not? Is uh, it not 4 0? Uh, now you're challenging me. Uh, I think it was 4 0. Yeah. 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 
Uh, that, although so, that was a really particularly bad day for Arsenal, I think most people would say. But oh, a particularly yeah. bad day. It, it, it was, and it, it was a bad day because they lacked intensity, which again is another one of these intangibles that you can't necessarily quantify on a on a whiteboard. Um, I, I don't expect Arsenal to have that, that same problem this time. I think they are a, a good a good team now, and in, in the sense that they are uh, more motivated than perhaps before, and a little bit better drilled. The concern I have with Arsenal is is the way that this back three is performing, and and Actually, even the attack, the the last few games that they've had, you look at the the West Ham game, they looked so limp. Um, even the 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 Newcastle game, they, there was a moment of brilliance from Ozil that gives them the advantage. But you look at some of the chances afterwards. The the one that springs to mind is Lacazette's attempt to lob the goalkeeper in the second half, when really if he puts his foot through it, chances are it probably goes in the bottom corner quite comfortably. And and that's the moment where. It's not a lack of intensity that's the issue. It's more a, a bizarre sense of complacency, as if a six or a seven out of performance, six or seven out of ten performance will will garner them enough chances to win a game. I would imagine they will that's be more motivated for this because they, because they know what it represents and they know how much they were embarrassed last time. But I still have issues with how actually suited they are to this back three I think it's something that's become very popular in English football sort of since Conte arrived and I understand why because it does help an imbalanced squad find some balance but I think that doesn't mean that it's it's um, necessarily a case of what's good for the goose is good for the gander uh, very English phrase but it certainly is is relevant here um, let's talk a little bit about the run-ins for all the top ish sides uh, over Christmas. Nico, you were looking through the run-ins that quite a few of these teams had uh, after an interesting tweet the other day about the, the breaks in between and then we looked at one or two of the run-ins beforehand. Let's try and work out who we think has got the easiest in somewhat of a pointless exercise. Um, who, who's got the easiest, Nico? The easiest, I probably would say, out of the top six, Manchester City aren't particularly challenged all that much. Sorry to sorry to disrespect your team there, Chris. Um, they've got Bournemouth, Newcastle, Palace, and Watford sort of in that very congested period, and then they come out the other end to face Liverpool, but but then from then on, it, it, it is kind of easy. I think the most difficult um, set of fixtures is, falls to Manchester United. They play Leicester, which are by no means uh, easy. Burnley in their current form, Southampton are <laughs> never an easy team, and then they have Everton, um, who under Sam Al- uh, under. Tim Allardyce will be a difficult team to play. So it was interesting, as you referenced sort of the the tweet there, um, James York did a uh, a really interesting sort of technical graphic talking about how, or talking about the what uh, how many days of rest each team in the Premier League will have. And, and Arsenal, I think, yeah, so Arsenal, Tottenham, and West Ham all sit at the top of that with nine uh, total days of rest between, you know, total days of rest between games. Chelsea are the only team in the Premier League to have eight. Watford, Southampton, Swansea, West Brom, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, and City all have seven days. And then the rest of the teams in the Premier League all have six days. Um, so, you know, it's definitely it, the, the Christmas period, I think, is something that we often talk about, given the fact that, you know, we covered the Premier League and it's one of those things that has been in contention for quite a while now, considering, I think, out of they're the only league in the in the top five that don't have some sort of winter break and and I, I think given the fact that 
the competitions are continuing to, to garner importance over the summer. Um, sometimes you see some of these players, like I, I think somebody did an article a couple of years back on Tony Cruz and he had essentially played football for three years straight because he had the world cup and he had the euros and he had extended competitions with Real Madrid. And I think the players at some point, Premier League players may start to fight back on that and say, you know, we need rest. We need this for the longevity in our careers. And it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between that pushback. And I think this is something that Jurgen Klopp has talked about a number of times times in press conferences and how he doesn't like um, the, the, the fixtures being so close together and there'd be no winter break. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see that pushback versus, you know, the, the TVs uh, and the TV, uh, you know, the TV deals and the people who are in charge of those things and how that dynamic sort of sort of plays out. It certainly is an interesting one. Uh, let us know who you think has got the easiest one. Who's, who does your team have over Christmas? Um, it's, there are some good games, not some incredible games. And it's sort of a weird one. That originally, Liverpool, I think, was supposed to play Arsenal on the eve of Christmas. And I think they moved it back because that's ridiculous. Um, and it's also sort of really unfair to fans or this sort of thing. Um, it's a very it's very unusual the way the Premier League is going at the moment. Sometimes it's as if people haven't thought things out at the very top. Um, but God forbid we would call them out for that. Um, what are you guys most looking forward to? Are you getting any, do you, do you ever ask for any Christmas-based presents over Christmas? You go for like, I've, I've just bought a lovely, uh, Christmas shopping is uh, certainly an interesting exercise for me. I bought more stuff myself today than I have for anyone else, maybe speaking more about my own personal character than um, anyone else's. Uh, but I bought a pair of Predators uh, from the Adidas store. They're lovely. They're the, the Ultra Boost ones, which is you, sort of you are just a walking advertisement for Adidas, aren't which, you? Yeah. Uh, in a way, although the, the only complaint that I have about them is that they have the word Predator emblazoned across the back, which I think since the big product launch has definitely had uh. a bit of a change in the UK and sort of in... Um, worldwide um, and so you know uh, the word I mean the, I got the one pair where the word predator sort of blacked out a little uh, the other ones it's in bright orange across the back and I don't know just sort of made me feel a bit uncomfortable when I was trying them on I was like if someone takes a picture of me at this point it's going to look terrible um, either of you have that only life was that simpler uh, yeah which it is. Well, that's more of a legal requirement for you, isn't it? Uh, yeah. No, I'll have to have the word predator put on my body at some point, but that's mostly just the tattoos that I was given in prison. Um, obviously, apart from that, I don't want it on the back of my playful street boot, as I uh, call it to the assistant, uh, to which he said, are you taking them or not? Um, so uh, I didn't take them. I bought them. Uh, Chris, anything you want football-wise over Christmas? Are you a big MLS shirt collector? I guess the new ones haven't come out yet, have they? So it's almost pointless to get the old one. Yeah, and they are horrendously priced, if I'm really honest. Are they? Like, looking at the... Yeah, you're looking at close to $200, pretty what? much, which... You know, right. I'm a, not like a football shirt, but I'm not too sure if I'm, if I'm being honest with you. I've never fully got that. Maybe it's something to do with just kind of price expectations it feels like a lot of sporting stuff over here is a bit more expensive than than back home everything from kind of scarves onwards um it's the u.s culture in terms of football 
Yeah, in terms of football stuff that I've bought, um, I bought your Facebook. Bobbleheads? Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I had to throw them out. Um, yeah. I had to, more, more socially. It was more a social obligation to throw them out than anything. Um, uh, but your own book, uh, good? I haven't started yet, actually. I've got it for the iPad, so I'm hoping to, to crack through it um, over Christmas. Um, I bought some sneakers, but they're not really football related. Um, what was the last football? Uh, they are NMD's Champs exclusives. Wow. They're not as exclusive as that, Sam. Why haven't I received a picture of these? Because uh, I'm still applying Crep Protect, which is not a sentence I would my entire life. Uh, yeah, very good point. Uh, although I'd be very careful with Crep Protect. Some people are allergic to it. Just saying. Oh, well, that's good to know. Um, uh, I've done, done myself out of a sponsorship deal there, but yeah. I'm trying to think what other football rates are. I mean, yeah, the, the, no, yeah, the boots I bought were months ago. Yeah, I'm not, um, at this point, the only thing I think I want for Christmas is three points, <laughs> but that's about it. Oh, well, you can't get everything. Um, uh, Nico, what about you? I suppose, do you, do you go for UK memorabilia? Do you, do you sit down on Christmas Day with your parents and go, let's watch Green Street, uh, Mum and Dad? Not really sure what that is, but... Um, you know nah, if you're I'm an English really football fan, a... dickhead. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not really much of a... Um, I'm not really much of a... Uh, like a go out and get something for people. I, I think... I gave my I, I got myself uh, and my dad as sort of a Christmas present. Um, I know he doesn't listen to the podcast, so it, it won't be ruined. But... <laughs> no, uh, I, I got still him. Send that if that's what you need. <laughs> no, I do. I don't need that from you. Um, I got him uh, the Between the World and Me by Tanahasi Coates uh, or Coates. Um, it's a really, I think, really good book about uh, sort of racism in, in America. Um, and you know, it was. I, I think maybe getting people like I, I really like getting people like books or movies or, or something like that, and sort of sharing or having a conversation about sort of the, those impressions, but I'm not really like a go out and get um, predators for someone type of guy. Yeah, very good point. Uh, whereas I'm the opposite. Uh, no, I did buy some Nikes the other day. So, yeah. uh, what, what, are you, what are you sporting on your feet now, uh, Nike-wise? What, wait, what models? Uh, and they, again, they come in... They come in the uh, they come in the post tomorrow, but uh, it is the like all gray Nike Cortezes. Can't go wrong with those. Suede. So. Uh, like uh, Frank Ocean says, these bitches want Nikes. Chris, of course, the sad news for West Brom fans that Johnny Evans, club captain, of course, wants to leave. Uh, where have you seen this headline? BBC Sport. BBC Sport. Uh, um, what else are the details on the story? Well, Evans currently has 18 months left on his deal at the Hawthorns. Um, he's 29, obviously. And he was subject to some bids, apparently, in the summer from Arsenal. There was even talk of Man City being interested. Uh, and he has expressed to the club he has no intention of extending his contract with the club. And so Simon Stone um, has, is reporting that... Uh, he will will look to be sold next year. He's currently 29, so he's he's right on that cusp of his peak theoretically. Um, yeah, and yeah, they they reckon that even Pardew's arrival hasn't 
been able to convince him to stay. Even the arrival of the preeminent uh, football manager and revivalist Alan Pardew hasn't uh, convinced him to stay. If Pardew can't convince a player to stay, and God knows he's tried, uh, what will? I guess would be the big question. Uh, some people might say having a good long-term stable goal. Um, maybe, yeah, let's not have too much of a go at Alan Pardew, eh? Uh, anything Ooh, I've got a better story than that for you. Uh, go on. <laughs> uh, Frank Ribery. Um, we all love much him. Much loved by Munich. Yeah. He was showing solidarity with a young Syrian boy who lost his eye due to uh, a bombardment with the hashtag solidarity with Karim. And one smart mouth fan replied that it was solidarity with Benzema for getting him laid. Uh, to uh, which wow. Ribery replied, don't speak without knowing, go eat your mother's ass. Um, it's certainly interesting uh, out there in the football. Let us know what football presents you get for people for Christmas. No joke. Uh, I the, uh, Chris has just sent me a picture of these NMDs. Chris, that's lovely. Uh, the sort of gold, goldy, I don't want to say brown because it misrepresents the colour which is on the shoe. And brown is an interesting uh, colour. Uh, but the goldy brown colour on them does look nice. Um, at some point, we'll tweet out a picture of Chris's brand new NMDs. Um, at the same time, uh, if I was speaking to my barista today. Yeah, I said my barista. Um, and When's he, it? Uh, yeah, and he, I, I was saying to him, I can't get my dad uh, a, um, a an Amazon Echo or an Alexa anymore because uh, he said they're always listening to you and he doesn't particularly like that it's always listening to you. So the guy, no, he didn't miss a beat and he went, I got my dad the entire Napoli tracksuit for Christmas. And I was like, is that a suggestion? Like, do you, you know, what would my dad do feel like, if I... feel like his dad needs a pair of Predator shoes to go with this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you mean the actual trainers as a product or do you mean the ones which make him look like a predator I'll let you decide on that one good point uh, take a seat sir uh, To Catch a Predator was a classic American TV series at one time uh, and as much as it was a horrible honey trap week after week it was difficult not to watch don't you think You guys have I never seen. What you're asking the wrong person. Nico, you must have seen. No, I, I wrote. I wrote a paper on that actually. Uh, go ahead. I mean, I'm interested to hear what uh, this paper says. Uh, I think it was, um, like you said, it was difficult not to tune in, and I think that it created. Um, it definitely created a, a, a sort of a, a witch hunt type of uh, vibe or uh, not vibe. That's not the word I'm looking for. But you sort of created like a witch hunt for those you know pedophiles rather um and, and you know i i sort of into to what effect that had sort of on our view as a as a society on on people that um have that outlook so it was interesting i i think you know it was a it was an interesting show and definitely compelling uh yeah it certainly was an interesting one uh let's take a uh let's take a look at that uh, we'll tweet out again a clip from that on the twitter uh, some of you might find it disturbing um, any other football news we should uh, cover before Christmas? It's always a shame we don't get Dave or uh, Adam on more recently, but they've become compelled to actually do a real job. 
and Dave's always busy. Um, Very good. Ajax have sacked their coach. Yeah, Dennis Bergkamp goes from Ajax. Uh, yeah, Dennis, Dennis Bergkamp goes. Uh, I believe Wim Yonk has gone as well. Um, A horrible I'm, pseudonym. I'm trying to find the... Yeah, and, and Marcel Kaiser is the, the coach. He was... Um, a former Ajax defender, but that's maybe stretching it a bit. He played less than half a dozen games for them, um, and was working at Young Ajax before getting promoted after Peter Bowes left. And it would seem that one of the reasons that Dennis Bergkamp has gone is because essentially he kind of pushed really hard for uh, Kaiser to get the job, and he was less than. Uh, amenable to Bose and and Bose had said himself even if he didn't get the Dortmund job he wanted to leave Ajax anyway because of the strained relationship he had with Bergkamp um, and I mean in, in fairness from what I had seen of Ajax recently they weren't playing terrible they drew against um, FC20 in the cup and then I think went out on penalties midweek but they were starting to get a bit of a title challenge um, put together recently and the team was was starting to feel more of an influence of of those young Ajax players that Kaiser had worked with, the likes of Frankie De Jong, Donny Van der Beek, um, Matthias Licht, who was fairly uh, you know influential last season under Bose. But yeah, it's it's certainly a disappointing um, decision, I think, for for Ajax. And I think in in many ways, to me at least, speaking as a as a firm outsider, it does paint a lot of the the big issues with that football club is that because it's had so many stars pass through and so many Dutch stars in particular, like Jonk, like Bergkamp, um, Davids is another one. It, it almost makes me think that there are too many competing ideologies. There are too many people with opinions on how the perfect Ajax exists. And I think it's almost become clouded by how many different interpretations there are of that vision. Mm. Um, and and it's it's a difficult one. I don't know who comes in. Possibly Bose comes back. I'm I'm not too sure what the situation is going to be at the minute. Um, it's certainly interesting elsewhere as uh, the Millwall story uh, gets extended. Apparently, Lewisham Council. I used to live very close to Millwall, uh, and it was uh, despite not particularly being fond of Millwall fans at the time uh, and some of their political views. I did. Uh, sort of warm to the club um and you know they were very good locally when we were studying and sort of in helping us out with sport reports and all sorts of things um the councillors apparently said they are still looking to take the land around the ground uh as they struggle again sort of keep hold of their stadium and everything that's going on there um it's certainly interesting uh what's going on there but most people in english football right now are lending their support to Millwall who find themselves sort of in a bureaucratic nightmare uh, and it's this time of the year when people tend to strike because there's obviously less people to strike back people go on a holiday those sorts of things we hope that nothing bad happens to Millwall in this time um, anyway uh, it's been good to have you guys uh, we're not off over Christmas we will try and do some uh, recordings over Christmas. Is that okay for you, Chris and Nico? Obviously, it'll only be you two. The other two don't really give a shit anymore. I'm joking. Sounds good to me. 
Good. Uh, Chris, be more than happy to do it. That's excellent. People out there cannot wait to hear you two eulogize over different sets of football fans and football fraternities. Uh, if you want to let us know what you want to hear us cover over Christmas or you think your team's got a particularly good run in, then let us know. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. But in the meantime, uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah uh, to some of our audiences. Um, just enjoy the time off. Um, we hope that we see you again real soon right here on TF3. Add, add, some, add some bells here.